It's 2002. Issues like climate change and overpopulation plague the world. George Orr is forced into psychiatric treatment for drug abuse with the psychiatrist Dr. William Haver. George reveals that his dreams have the power to alter reality. While at first skeptical, Dr. Haber comes to realize the potential of George's power to change the world. Shelf, a book club podcast where each month we read a book and come together to discuss it. I'm Emma. I'm Hannah. And I'm Christina. And this month we read Ursula K. Le Guin's 1971 novel, The Lathe of Heaven. So to begin, as of always, we are going to give our non-spoiler review, talk about our thoughts and feelings of the book, whether or not we liked it. Hannah, what did you think of the book? I should have written out exactly what I wanted to say. I did not. So <laughs> this is going to be very off the cuff, Hannah's and I might have to say it a second or third time. So when you first told me about the book and and about reading the book, you had said, oh, it, it, I, I read the first line, and it just makes me so happy. And so I was like, oh, okay, this will be... This will be a happy book. It'll it'll make me feel happy. And then I, I I get the book in my hand, and and the quote on the front is uh, mentions it breaks my heart, <laughs> and I was just like, oh no, this is not going to be what I thought it was. I thought it was going to be a really uplifting, get me out of my depression type book, and it was not. That being said. It was definitely a very interesting book. It went places I did not necessarily expect it to go. There were some cute scenes, uh, more romance than I thought, especially for you who does not care for romance. Mm-hmm. And But yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It was not the happy book that I thought it was going to be from your... <laughs> it makes me so happy. It made me so happy. <laughs> so, okay, I'll be, I'm going to already interrupt Christina before she gets this gets to speak the reason it makes me happy is because it's i love the writing Mm -hmm. so reading that the opening paragraph i'm just like wow this is just such a Mm -hmm. great opening paragraph i i love it the writing made me happy not necessarily the things that were happening so so then for me i i start reading it and i am very much somebody who loves dialogue (laughs) <laughs> that's where we differ <laughs> I, I I love dialogue I love quick dialogue I love back and forth and so then when this book starts off and it's super descriptive and super flat and I'm which is nice in doses but is not necessarily my cup of tea so that's yeah I, for my non-spoiler review I would just say writing format is not necessarily my cup of tea but the story itself was a good story Wow. Christina, what did you think? Okay, so I'm glad you mentioned the first paragraph because as soon as I read the first paragraph, number one, jellyfish are like my favorite sea creatures. So I was pulled in with that. (laughs) And just the description, I was like, immediately, like my mind, the gears were already spinning. Like, what does this Mm -hmm. have to do with the novel? Where is this going to go? Because I know it is going to be a metaphor for something. And I love this book. It was nice and short, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. And, <laughs> but it packed so much in. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like at the end of the book, I wasn't wanting more. Like I thought it ended really well. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't, I loved it. I didn't think it needed to be longer. I thought if it was longer, then it would have gotten too bogged down with yeah minutia and whatnot. But I thought it was perfect. I really loved everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really liked it. I actually thought that the romance part was like my least favorite part of the novel. Yeah, I Because don't, it didn't make sense know. to me. But <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Yeah, no, my, my main thing with Rose is, again, I was just surprised that a book that Emma chose would have any inkling of a ro- I was expecting there to be no romance in this book. An anti-romance yeah, novel. Cause, <laughs> cause anti, you just, yeah, because you, you shy away from that. So I wasn't expecting there <laughs> no, to be any. No, I shy away from bad romance. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all. <laughs> 
Oh, man. So, for me, so I had to read this book in college. So, first of all, very pleasantly surprised that a book that I had to read was even remotely good. What class but was it for? It was just, it was an American literature class. Okay. So, for me, I had, like, the most personal experience I've ever had reading anything. Because I start reading this book and I'm like, oh my god, this is my life. <laughs> it's not at all because it's a very fictional book. I cannot control reality with my dreams, unfortunately. I was unfortunately. just about to ask. <laughs> <laughs> but so I had never realized that I had never really been able to relate to a fictional character before. And so George... Who's, act who's the protagonist of the book, I was just like, this is me. Because this is an androgynous person who has sleep problems. And I'm like, that's me. That's everything. And I never realized that it was missing from my life. <laughs> and so I like this book a lot. I am just rambling because I don't know how to express my love for it. Um, I think one of the other... So I've never read a book where androgyny was portrayed before, so that was refreshing. I've never read a book where... So in Western culture, we'll talk about this probably more, but so in our culture, unfortunately, there's a lot of media where it's masculinity versus femininity, where masculinity is always good and femininity is always evil. An example of that is Dune by Frank Herbert, a book we all hate. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> where, you know, Paul and his people and followers are all typically masculine. They're very, like, logical, sort of, very... Oh, how to describe it? I don't know. They're very masculine and the Harkonnens are incredibly feminine, in a very insulting, derogatory way. Right. So, and this book is, like, the opposite of that. I do think this book goes a bit off the rails at the end. It makes sense, though, because it is about somebody subconscious controlling the world. Yeah. So I think it, it does, it, it is all brought back together in what I thought was satisfying. And yeah, I guess that's my non-spoiler <laughs> review of the book. Please read the book. It's so good. So short, so sweet. So yeah, everything everything I needed in my life at that I, point. I've been wanting to read Ursula K. Le Guin for a long time, and I just mm -hmm. haven't gotten around to it. So for people who have never read her work before, I can't say, I guess this is a good place to start off, but I think it is because I thought it was amazing and I don't know how it speaks to the rest of her work, but okay. it was so well, good. I think I'll talk about it in the recommended section. I think okay. this might be the worst place to start. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into our spoiler discussion. Let us discuss this book completely, thoroughly, everything. So many long paragraphs. <laughs> I, my, that's my biggest complaint. That's your spoiler? That's, that's... I know, I should have included that. It, it's, it's, my brain cannot handle long paragraphs. I don't know. I, I, I needed to, you know, get the bookmark and, and cover up and stop my... Because my eyes bounce so easily. So when the doctor goes on forever and ever about his machine and the different types of sleep, I just... My mind was bouncing around. So basically science fiction isn't Sci for you. It, no, <laughs> not long descriptions of science fiction that end up being repeated later. I <laughs> Long okay. paragraphs. <laughs> That's very interesting, but also now that I think about it, the, all the books that you've chosen have been very dialogue heavy. <laughs> Hannah has a type. Yes. <laughs> and that is okay. So where do you want to start, Emma? Alright, so chapter one, the opening of this book. I love this first chapter. Yes. <laughs> I highlighted so many paragraphs just because I loved the descriptions that she gave. Mm -hmm. Um, and 
the first chapter is definitely one like this is a book where you finish reading the book and you kind of want to go back to the first chapter mm-hmm. a little bit and it kind of makes more sense as the book went on mm-hmm. yeah i so it starts off with a description of a jellyfish hanging in the ocean mm-hmm. like going with the drift of the ocean and then it cuts to or who is like on these stone steps of this like ravaged city and he's dying of radiation poisoning and it's so crazy like and you know i'm fresh off of just watching uh chernobyl and whatnot Mm. so those images put in my mind of what radiation sickness is and looks like are so fresh and it just is haunting to think of this world that he's living in and it gets kind of confusing when it jumps to the second chapter and it's different. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to put two and two together. Well, so what did you think? Did you think that it was just a dream? I wasn't sure because I knew that the world that he woke up in in chapter two was still kind of having issues. Mm-hmm. But so I thought that the first dream was or the first chapter was a dream, basically. Okay. Like, oh, either mm-hmm. that or at the time, like, maybe this is a future jump. Like, chapter one was, like, a prologue sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see, no, I, I thought chapter one was he was paranoid because he was on all of the drugs <laughs> for mm-hmm. for the sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, same thing. Like, again, was told that reading the opening of the book made Emma super, super happy. And the next thing I know, there's radiation sickness, which is... A huge fear of mine. <laughs> Incurable things are a huge fear of mine. And I've just got the, like, NCIS episode with a dude from Burn Notice getting radiation poisoning. I'm pretty sure that's who it was. Anyway, in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't want to read a book about radiation sickness. <laughs> so then I was happy when it wasn't around for a while <laughs> in the book. And I was like, oh, thank goodness this is not about radiation poisoning. And then it kind of was. <laughs> well, I I love that. I I call it a plot twist. I love mm-hmm. that where when George tells Heather, "Do you remember April 1998? That's when the world ended." And it's yes. like, oh my god, the world ended, and George dreamed it back into existence. That's yeah. Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> uh, my notes like changed to all caps. Like I had to pause and reread it. I was just like, like when that reveal happened i lost it it was amazing (laughs) it was my favorite twist of the entire novel Mm -hmm. i was like this is what we've been working towards this Mm -hmm. twist right here Mm -hmm. and it was so worth it it was so great yeah yeah so since i'm rereading it i i can notice these things sometimes so in Mm -hmm. chapter five after george has the dream that reduces the population Yes. So he the Thanos finger snap. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> End game. <laughs> I was I was waiting. I was like, how are they going to bring this back around? George is now the Infinity Gauntlet. Who's going to use him to put things right? Yeah. So so in chapter five, Haber is saying like, oh, we had to have the plague to reduce the population, and he says, was there any other solution besides nuclear war? Hmm. And I read that I was like, oh. That did happen. Oh. You don't know it though. <laughs> oh my gosh! And that was not the solution. Yeah. So then I didn't go back and and read it, but there's a point where he's going through the instances where he's changed things, and he talks yes. about his his aunt. And yes. I can't remember if he was saying that was the first time he did it or if it was just a time he did it because well because i was just trying to figure out then like was the radiation sickness changing that dream when did that happen in the timeline of his like aunt trying to assault him versus radiation poisoning what timeline did that happen i don't know if there are any clear answers i feel like it happened in the radiation timeline i don't know okay because i mean there is There's the point where George says, I've had so many childhoods, I don't know which is the real one anymore. Mm. But I feel like earlier in the novel, before Haber's forcing him to have all the dreams, he's like, this is my... He has a better grasp of what his personal timeline is. Mm -hmm. And as he said, this is the first time he's sure of that he 
Mm. changed reality because of course he might have like little dreams where he's like oh that's weird i don't think it was like that before but this was the first definite instance right that involved like maybe taking away a human life Mm -hmm. of someone like close to him so okay so it's chapter two haber meets or and this chapter is from haber's point of view yes i hated the doctor so much (laughs) Yeah, he was really frustrating. He made me so angry. <laughs> I don't know, rereading it, because, so yeah, I don't like him. Throughout the book, George Orr keeps saying, well, he's a benevolent man. And so I kind of started seeing that more, rereading mm. it this time, where it's like, Haber could be the protagonist of a different novel, because Haber is the masculine evil masculine in this case, in this book, and how he does have good intentions, and I understand it, but yeah, I think, yeah, I don't like him. (laughs) No, like, okay, so chapter two, I liked him, because he believed or like, right Mm -hmm. away, and like, Mm -hmm. listened to him, like, I, I thought for a moment, just because it was set up to be this whole dystopian government that he'd be sent to the psychologist and the psychologist right away would be like you're crazy i don't believe you for a second and i thought kind of that's where the novel is going i didn't read a summary of the novel before Mm -hmm. i read the book which i love doing and (laughs) um yeah so I thought he was going to be so much worse. So chapter two, I was like, oh my God, I I like this doctor. Like he's kind of how I would approach it at first where I'm like, oh yeah, okay, let's study this. Let's try this. I have this machine that might work. Let's do this. But mm-hmm. Haber at this time is also like working out of a really um, like meager office, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's rudimentary. And so I think when he starts off, he's really humble and just there for learning, you know, and learning about what is going on. So his character definitely changes, but I did like him at first. And also I love how everyone, when they first meet Orr, like their first impression of him is that he's timid and weak and Mm -hmm. boring but then mm, almost yeah. the next line later, like, after he speaks, they're like, oh, wait, no. This guy has stuff going on. He's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. So, George is, you know, I love him so much. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so they're always talking about, oh, he's so passive, he's so average. And uh, and they're talking about how weak and timid he is and, you know, Haber's trying to get George to explain, oh, George, what's what's your problem? What's your problem? And he's like, oh, I already know what his problem is. He doesn't need to tell me. And then Haber will, like, start correcting George when in their conversations, and that's when George stands up for himself. Mm-hmm. Immediately, even in the second chapter, where he's still, he's very sure of what he knows. And so Haber doesn't really recognize that as strength at that point. Mm-hmm. He's still okay. just, like, Oh, it's just passive, feminine mm-hmm. man. Uh, yeah. He's very milk toast. Yes, which is yeah. a word I learned. <laughs> Spelled like milk toast. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. The doctor just even in his. I don't know. I didn't care for him even in his first because, like you were saying, all of his interrupting and, and assumptions and mm-hmm. all of his mm-hmm. like I know what's going on, and then all like. Oh, go, go to sleep, John? Wait, yes. what was his name? Oh, yeah. And I was like, you can't, you just <laughs> hypnotized this man and you don't even remember his name. <laughs> like, okay. that made me so mad. <laughs> For a long time, I was like, is George even his real name? Or if that, or was that the name that Haber oh. just came up for him when he was hypnotized and now he thinks that's his name where he's just going by it because he doesn't want to correct him? <laughs> oh, no. That would be great. He dreamed it into existence. Yes. He told me my name George. is George. Because <laughs> I think at one point when he's introducing himself to Heather, he's like, well, I go by George or something. He says it kind of oddly to the point where I'm like, people call me George. And I'm like, oh. What else would they call you? Yeah. I'm like, do you have a real name that Haber doesn't call you by? <laughs> like, 
Well, so this is kind of a tangent. I watched American Masters last night, which okay. was about Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm-hmm. And so in other books of her, she she has the concept of having a true name where, you know, that's secret because if somebody knows your true name, they have power over you. Yeah. I don't think she's using it here, but it is something that's in her other books. <laughs> well, I mean, in that respect, Haber has his true name and has power over him. Mm-hmm. So maybe he should have lied about his name. <laughs> then he wouldn't probably, be able to hypnotize him for real. Probably couldn't do that since it was like government ordered. <laughs> yeah, uh, true. <laughs> therapy. <laughs> right. Just I know that's not your name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can't convince me otherwise. <laughs> yeah, so chapter two is when Haber sees for the first time that Orr is able to change things. He changes the painting in his office Mm -hmm. from Mount Hood to the horse that kind of looks like Dr. Haber. Yeah. (laughs) Which is amazing. (laughs) And Haber, I think, is so obvious in that he actually knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. Because at first he's like, yeah, it was Mount Hood. And then it like takes him a second to be like, oh, I should keep it to myself that I have seen this change. Yeah. I was really worried it was going to take George a really long time to realize how much the doctor was using him. Mm. <laughs> so I was really, I don't, I don't have my notes as chapters, so I don't remember what chapter that happens in. I'm probably skipping ahead. Chapter, f- um, chapter it happens quick. four, chapter four is when he goes to see Heather. It, it, it happens sooner than I, I necessarily <laughs> thought where he's like, yeah. yeah, it's only like two dreams later. Doctor yeah. is. Haber doesn't waste any time. He's director of that dream study <laughs> yes! lab real yes. quick. He's immediately like, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to get. Yes. <laughs> Move myself up in the world. Yeah. Right. It's like he's always been waiting for George Orr to come into his life. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so chapter three, it, it it's a doctor's appointment from George Orr's point of view. Yes. Which, obviously, I loved because I was like, ah, another point of view. I love how it changed (laughs) point of views. Mm -hmm. And, oh, actually, I wrote down, or is pretty sure by the end of this chapter that Dr. Haber knows that his dreams change things, but he still refuses to admit it to him. But, so, like you're saying with the viewpoints, so, the majority of the time when other characters are in the chapter, it's their viewpoint and not, not George's viewpoint, Mm-hmm. And I think that's so great because George is, George is so passive that he's not even the main character in his own novel. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. it's always what other people mm-hmm. think of him. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. And Heather is so aggressive yeah. towards her thoughts <laughs> yes. of him. Like, I almost think like more aggressive than Haber. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, so then chapter four is when he goes to meet Heather Mm-hmm. And talking about George being a bug and saying, oh, he wouldn't even squish if I was, if I stepped on him, he would yes. <laughs> just kind of crumble, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, that That's the chapter where I had to turn and see when it was written because, <laughs> I, I, yeah, because uh, she's thinking about other cases, I guess, that she's heard of I, yeah. I don't think that they were cases that she had done because she was a lawyer yeah uh, about other cases and she starts talking about how there was the gay guy who accused the hypnotist of turning him gay but then he ended up being a pedophile and you know trying to get with 12 year old boys and that, <laughs> I, I just had to look up when that was because i was like that's not that's such a stereotype of the time it was written so I guess I but it it still it it took me aback a bit to see that (laughs) in the book yeah Yeah. I think I I don't know I'd like to blame it on Heather's personality true just being very blunt true True. but yeah it wasn't a great thing to include in the book (laughs) it didn't need to be there yeah I, yeah, I think it really is a tool to speak to, like, Heather's character, but besides that, it has no use. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, so George's description, I wrote down, Heather said that he has hair like a little girl's. He always has all these very feminine traits attributed to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hair down to his shoulders. Conservative shoulder length. 
Okay, I thought that was a very interesting <laughs> description, but I very guess it was the 70s, 60s, 70s. 70s yeah. <laughs> People had really long hair. Yeah. I, I, I love that description only because it makes me chuckle. Yes. Like, yep. That's what he has. Conservative shoulder length. Amazing. Yeah. What a cutie. <laughs> Indeed. Um... So, I don't know, I guess it gets us to chapter five when Heather observes their appointment. Yes. Okay, this is another moment that I wanted so badly to happen. I was like, they're not going to give it to us. They can't. Like, why would they give us something so great? And they do. Heather sees it and she notices the change, which Mm -hmm. is like the best case scenario. Yeah. Amazing. So, and Haber tries to give or under... Uh, hypnosis some like very vague let's make the world a better place yeah sort of be so crowded anymore yeah exactly you're really nervous about overcrowding and i was like i feel ya that's something (laughs) i'm very like getting into a crowded bus or train and i was like i hate that so much but or's subconscious mind is like oh the simple solution to that is just to get rid of what is it like five six of the population or something crazy like that yeah so an interesting thing for me is they do give you the numbers in chapter five it's down to one billion yeah so but it didn't hit me until chapter six which is a chapter that's from george orr's point of view and he's ruminating on the murder of six million people and i was like or six billion and i was like Six billion people were murdered, and I went back to chapter five. I was like, six billion people were murdered, but I thought it was interesting that, of course, a chapter that's from Haber's point of view, something that's inconsequential to him would mm-hmm. kind of slip past me, you know? Right, yeah. To him, to him, it was just the Thanos finger snap. Everybody turns to dust. To mm-hmm. George, it was this plague and all of the death and the bodies and and the actual act yeah. that led to yeah all of those people uh, right. dying not just disappearing and dusting yeah when he wakes up and he says where did they go mm-hmm. oh my goodness george <laughs> yes i really like this chapter for me this is where it started to get real yeah mm. yeah i cuz i think up to this point and i wrote this down too that i just was like, I want to know more about this dystopia. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? And now, like, towards the end of the novel, when you realize chapter one is what the world was, and up till then it had been changing, or or past that it had been changing, mm-hmm. then that's why you're like, oh, that's why we had so few details. Because George is the only one that remembers really the whole story. Yeah. So I was really excited when we got some names to events like, oh, we have the plague and now the era of the recovery is what they're in now. And Mm. um, there was a before the crash moment, too. And I was really excited that we're getting names for all these events in human history for this novel. Mm -hmm. Also, I thought it was interesting that Haber definitely wanted to kill Heather. Yes! He was so ready to He's kill just like, her. No one must know that George can change reality. Yes. Just like I just I know this isn't what the book says, but I always imagine him like behind her with his like hands creeping. like That's exactly ready what to I was picturing. Because it says he has his hands clenched, so I, I assume he's holding his own hands. But I, I always, for some reason, I always read it as him having his hands outstretched, ready to choke her. Yes, that's exactly what I was picturing. I was like, oh my god. (laughs) And like towards the end of the chapter, he's calling her the Lilic. Yes. And I was like, oh, he's not calling her her or anything. He's impersonal now. Yeah. He's gonna murder her. Yeah. (laughs) And fun fact, Lilac, or I don't know how to say it, is French for the coward. Well, the book says that. Oh, it does say that. Okay, cut that out. Cut that out. Thank you for that fun fact. Because <laughs> I, I remember like when I first saw her name, I was like, this means something. And then I looked it up and then it does say it. Okay. But fun fact anyways. Brought to you by Christina. Thank you. <laughs> and Ursula K. Le Guin. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Also fun fact. 
our current world population is 7.53 billion. Mm, so indeed. we have surpassed the dystopian world of Lathe of Heaven. And we're doing great! Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were living in a world that grain was so scarce that bourbon didn't exist. We still mm-hmm. got bourbon. Maybe we shouldn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. That's when I looked up when the book was written. Obviously, we weren't close to 7 billion then. <laughs> we were getting there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, then you, you mentioned chapter 6, how that's George just thinking about really everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. So I love the part when, when George is thinking about it. He's saying, what if there never is an end? All we have is means. How how Haver keeps saying, the ends justify the means. Like, what if there is no end? I wrote down <laughs> that exact same quote. I yeah. loved it so much. Yeah. So I didn't actually write down who said that. So Orr says that to Haber. Yeah, what if there are never is an end? Oh, yeah, his means. Uh, I think I think that's great, because I feel like this is like an anti-superhero novel, mm-hmm. where if this was mm. a, a superhero movie or something, this would be about George learning to use his powers for the greater good. And yeah. instead, George is like, no, I should just be a part of the world. I don't want to change anything, because... I can't just keep changing things forever. There's always going to be a problem. Right. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was like, if it, this was like a typical novel and he was a typical male protagonist, mm-hmm. like he would have taken Haber's fate into his own hands immediately. As soon yeah. as he figured out he was being used, he would start plotting Haber's murder. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Like, it takes him forever, like, almost the entire novel to finally confront Haber. Yeah, I, yeah, if this was a different novel, he definitely would have taken a different approach than, let me go to a lawyer. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Let me do this legal and peaceful way. Right. And then, Heather, why don't you try and control my dreams? You know, like, instead of just confronting Haber and maybe getting to a solution faster. And end of chapter six. Yeah. Bum bum. Haber asks Orr to dream of a world where humans don't kill humans. And now aliens exist. Yes. <laughs> I, Hannah's been that, waiting for the aliens. That's when I, I got into the book. I was like, there are aliens now. It's one of those things where when you've got this like hypnosis and clearly the, the dreams are happening and they're never happening exactly the way uh, that you expect them to and how you have to word things very carefully. So it's like the wording of this is going to get us into trouble. <laughs> like, yes. This isn't going to go the way you think it'll go. <laughs> and, and then you got aliens. Exactly. As soon as he said those words, I was like, something and that's when I was like, is oh, about to happen. Science fiction. <laughs> no. uh-huh. <laughs> Aliens equal science fiction. No. That's true. <laughs> that's all it takes to make a science fiction novel. <laughs> aliens. Yeah, I, I, part of me is like, oh, I don't really like the aliens. <laughs> I love the aliens. The wow. best part of the book, the best image from the entire book is at the end. When he's in his little store, and there's just that giant turtle alien holding a whisk. (laughs) I drew a picture of that. (laughs) It is the best part of the whole book. That made me smile, and I was like, okay, it is a happy... Yes, that's a beautiful picture. We need a a picture of that picture. We do. It it was such a... that, That moment... Like, yes. <laughs> See, I never, I always thought, because once the aliens are introduced, I feel like they're so dominant in the book. I feel like they're they're too much there. But I kind of like them, because in my mind, George dreams up his own solution to his problem. Right. Where the aliens are the ones who help him out in the end. Yeah. That's, there, there was a point in the book where I started, I, I tend to be like a conspiracy theorist, but there was a part in the book where I was like, what if George came up with the doctor because he clearly wanted to be cured? So this mm-hmm. whole time, the doctor wasn't even an original part of any mm-hmm. of the timelines. It was George's attempt to fix things for himself, yeah. and it just went really That's awry. Actually, I 
think a really good theory as far as like what happened because if you think about it Haber is like the only one that has this machine called the augmenter that can track the wavelengths of your dreams and mm-hmm. I think I would love the novel even more if if or dreamt up Haber and now or has to deal with the consequences of his actions as far as doing that you know it's possible i like that who knows i like that a lot good job hannah this is how we discuss (laughs) things that's what i'm here for cool stuff yeah so chapter seven is when or uh runs away so this chapter is from heather's point of view i'm pretty sure and Um, she gets stood up by Orr, so she goes to find him, because she kind of starts to remember, or starts to believe that the world changed, because she goes to her old office, which, and it's a parking garage. it's a parking garage, or whatever. Yeah. And her old office was always a parking garage, it's just now it's a condemned parking garage, as opposed to a remodeled parking garage. They mentioned how, in the remodeled parking garage, the walk or the hallways are still slanted like in a parking garage which is yeah weird yeah so heather finds or in his cabin that he dreamed up and tries and convinces him to dream and let her hypnotize him well george kind of has to sleep because he's been awake for several days so she's like okay you have to sleep you're probably gonna dream so let me hypnotize you i was really good at it in college it'll be fine (laughs) again with the carefully worded exactly and it was totally fine guys totally fine jk the aliens are off the moon and they're on earth now yes yeah that's just how the chapter ends yeah i was like i can't stop reading And then, and then next thing, and then next thing you know, George is all like messed up because of a car yeah. <laughs> crash, and uh, the city's being the destroyed. City's being <laughs> destroyed, and that that was my other favorite part. Again, with the aliens, when uh, George they they go back to the doctor, he uh, dreams again, and they're trying to you know make it so that now there's not just peace between humans, but you know, everybody, yeah. everybody gets along. And then you have the aliens and they're like, we came in peace. We just don't know how to talk to you. You guys are the ones destroying yourselves. Yeah. Like, stop it. We yeah. don't have any of <laughs> They're speaking from their left elbow. Yes. But, but at first they were bending their arms. They were speaking while pointing forward. And that was really aggressive and scaring people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, these turtle aliens are so cute. They're so cute. <laughs> and they give us a name for what or is the Iaklu. Yes. Which in a way is a word that Or <laughs> thought of himself. The, yeah. That has no meaning, but exactly. describes him perfectly. Yeah. It, yes. It's him. <laughs> Did you guys get the sense that the aliens also have this power, or did they just know about it? I don't know. I guess it would make sense that they have it to a degree, since they're like, hey, say this thing before you go to bed, mm-hmm. so that way you don't really the, do it. With the little help for my friends thing? Maybe they just help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They'll, like, they hear that line, and then they come to like help suppress the dreaming ability. If you remember, so... Basically, the solution to George's problem is he needs a little help from his friends. He gets the Beatles record, and and that inspires him. So, okay, that's the solution to his problem at the end. But if you remember at the beginning, when they ask him, where did you get all these drugs? Mm. He says, friends. He doesn't say say any names. He gets help from his friends. Then when he started being with Haber, he didn't have any friends to help him out. But then sort of reminded, oh, I can't just be by myself. I can't solve this by myself. I need help. That's, I, I was a little confused about that because in the first chapter, it's all like, my friends were helping me get all this medicine, but then as soon as he goes into the therapy and everything, there's never any friends. <laughs> well, yeah, so I, I don't know if they're really friends, but I think that was just what he, that's just the word that he came yeah. up with mm-hmm. at that moment in his drug-addled state. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, where he didn't want to turn the And them also in. with the drug with the government watching him so closely, he can't really like afford to have friends. 
in that capacity Mm -hmm. more friends drug dealer friends (laughs) Yeah. yeah oh and then okay i wrote down this quote the aliens say this to haber when they bust into his office great destruction follows upon unfounded fear and i thought that was Mm, very poignant and something that maybe we should ruminate on in today's world as well and Mm. you can correct me if i'm wrong i feel like haber haber says something where later or at that moment where he said the alien says something to me and i had no idea what they were talking Mm. about where he just doesn't understand mm, yeah. at all. Just And what? I wasn't sure if he was pretending <laughs> to not understand at that time. Because he's been so deceptive. Mm-hmm. Or if he truly was like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know? What does that yeah. even mean? <laughs> exactly. He could be like so like caught up in his agenda that he really just does not understand yeah. that he's doing anything wrong. Yeah. That, that's yeah. how I took it. Uh, again, I'll, I'll keep going to the nerdy reference. The doctor is is basically Thanos, where he feels that what he's going to do is going to bring balance. It's going to be the thing that that writes the scales that makes it so that everybody everywhere is better, especially himself. If he can get his little like yeah, retirement, his yeah. retirement in his office. There is like a part where you're like, okay, Haver, like I understand overpopulation is the problem, but. The real problem yeah. is that you think that you can decide who dies. Even if it's yes. random, you're yes. still deciding that people are going to die and that, like, that's the issue. That's the real issue. Yes. yes, overpopulation is an issue that he solves, but he doesn't go about it the yes. right way. But at in the beginning, Haber, everything that Haber's having George dream about are things that George is concerned about. He's always asking George, what are you concerned about today? Let's fix it. So I guess that's why George is always saying, oh, he, he is a benevolent yeah. man. But yes, he's he's very much doing it. Everything wrong. He gave wrong. George his cabin in the woods. Yeah. And eventually all of this trying to fix things breaks the world and makes it gray. Yeah. Although Haver loves that. He's just Haver like, was all for he's it. He's like, oh, all your other dreams like kind of got messed up along the way, lost <laughs> in translation. But this is exactly what I wanted. I wanted an end to racism. Now there is no race. We are all gray. Exactly. (laughs) But no, then that just made me so sad with Heather because... Heather can't exist. Because Heather couldn't exist because so much of her her story was about her her race Mm -hmm. and about how her mother uh, wanted to be with her father because of his race and... Which isn't necessarily the best... (laughs) love story of all i know but i heard it and i was like this is such a thing like i understand exactly what she's saying right she loved him being black more than she loved him yeah um (laughs) again the whole time i was like why doesn't he just dream haber away right because he can't he doesn't have that much control just oh heather hypnotized me again yeah exactly (laughs) Exactly. so chapter nine i wrote haber becomes a full mad scientist in this chapter I loved, so I love this description of him. The lips within the curly beard parted in a straining, staring smile, a grin of ecstasy that made Orr turn away. I was like, that is mad scientist. He's just like, my creation has succeeded all my expectations. (laughs) And so when Orr is trying to reason with him, he refers to Haber as a cold, uncaring, yet powerful god unable to get a word in edgewise mm-hmm. and i think that's exactly how haber has seen himself the entire time mm-hmm. like having dominion over life on earth yeah and then this chapter also haber this is when he reveals his true plan of replicating the east state the effective state within himself so that he can effective mm-hmm. dream and he'll have no more use for or's cooperation so he reveals yeah. that as Orr confronts him for the first time. Yeah, just, oh, I won't need you anymore. I will cure you. We'll get to that. Yeah. And this thought that maybe he had the cure the entire time, but was waiting until he got what he needed out of him. Yeah. Right. So he could replicate it, so he could do it. Yeah, because yeah, it didn't seem like there was any reason why he couldn't say, George, have an effective dream where you can't effectively dream. I know. Once that was the solution, I was like, wait, hold on. 
<laughs> that was so easy. It's like, yeah, you could have done that, you know, chapter three. You could have maybe even had Heather do that for you. <laughs> yeah. But then we wouldn't have a novel. Yeah, and then the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a short story. I feel like chapter nine to the end is all sort of one significant chunk of the book, because now we're living in a gray world with aliens and without Heather, and this is all about George being like, okay, I need to fix this. I need to stop Haber. Yeah. And actually, so uh, the opening quote for chapter 10, it was in French. It was a quote from Victor Hugo, Les Contemplations. Mm -hmm. But translated to English, it says, Awakened, he descends the other slope of the dream. And I was like, I just freaked out because I was like, (laughs) this is where we are. Like, he's gone through it. And he's coming up the other slope now of this dream. He's ready to combat Haber. He's ready to take fate into his hands. Like, yeah, finally. <laughs> like, <laughs> I understand he's passive. I appreciate that. But it's like, yes, let's do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's set things right. Let's bring color back into the world. Let's bring Heather back. Mm-hmm. I was ready. Yeah. I was so ready. (laughs) Yeah, so this is when we, like, have confirmation that the aliens do know what's going on because Orr created the aliens, so, of Mm -hmm. course, so that was a cool fact. And then at the end of Chapter 10, Haber has the power now, and literally, I kind of did not know what happened at all. Yeah, yeah, I, I I got confused. So, yeah, so Haber is going to impose the power on himself. Yeah. Haber begins to effectively dream, and I feel like he begins to see what the world was like post-1998. Mm-hmm. And that he starts to sort of create that world, and that world sort of starts coming to life until George stops him. And then that's why at the end... Haber is in the mental institution because he's seen a reality that does not exist mm-hmm. and he can't handle that. I was getting ready to be super annoyed because it, it starts off and it got me. It got me because they were like, George is in the mental institution. And I was like, damn it. Yeah. No. What? He's gone through so much. This shouldn't be his end. <laughs> and then it was just to visit the doctor. And I was like, thank God. This is what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> So beautifully written. I had the same little like heart beat skip. I was like, oh my god, no. This can't be. Yeah. He has to be with Heather. And he still yeah. wasn't, but they had the cutest scene at the end of the novel. That was super cute. With the turtle and the whisk. Yes. That was my favorite. Like the whisk was so tiny compared to him. And He's like, I don't know what to do with this whisk because these humans are just talking to each other and I don't know what to do. (laughs) So cute. So cute. Even though they don't have faces. Yeah. But it would have been cuter if they had faces. Okay. I guess. I'm I'm glad you guys like the aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But, okay, so there was also a part of me, so like, when Haber puts Orr in that last dream that's like, you can't effective dream anymore, and then that's it. So yeah. Orr says before he goes to sleep, with a little help from my friends or whatever, before he goes yeah. to sleep. So does he not actually effective dream, or... I don't know. <laughs> in my opinion, I think he still has a bit of the ability to effectively dream. Mm-hmm. But I just think he has control of it now. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think Haber's last hypnosis session worked at all Mm -hmm. like i kind of i got the feeling that his last or like that haber's effective dream didn't work because or had a little bit of control Mm -hmm. and kind of made it so that he would come out of it super catatonic don't know yeah i think i think this book i feel like this book is, you know, up to the reader, but in a better way than just like, oh, leave it up to your imagination. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when books do that, it's like, no, tell me. I feel like this book is, you can yeah. have your explanation right. and it's correct. Yeah. It, it was a satisfying ending. It, it's one of those things where 
throughout it, I'm thinking, oh, how are they going to reset everything? How yeah. are they going to, you know, get it back to a normal? And and so I'm really happy that, you know, the aliens are still there because otherwise <laughs> we wouldn't have had the cutest scene in the book. Yeah, uh, exactly. <laughs> so, so you know, not everything needed to be reset completely to the way it was before in any of the timelines. Just now this is our reality well, yeah as heather says at the end you couldn't come up with a better reality for us oh man <laughs> and, i know and george says it's, it's the one we got <laughs> and it's, it's so nice i mean i assume he still has that great cabin on that sweet piece of land in the national forest so i i don't know <laughs> oh hopefully i feel like he should get something <laughs> for all of his he got that one really thing. cute shop that he designed yeah. his kitchenware oh, that is for. Pretty cute. He, he got his he kitchenware got his, shop. His dream job yeah. with his alien friend boss. <laughs> yeah, his, his boss is an alien. <laughs> who, I love it, it so much. Who was also like, hey, just do whatever you want. Going back, I think when I first started to relate to Orr was one line that I wrote down where Orr had the tendency to assume that people knew what they were doing, perhaps because he generally assumed that he did not. I was like, yes, Orr, that is me. <laughs> I, I wrote down that exact line because I think that I had the same, me. Yes. the same experience when I first read it where I'm just like, oh. This is me. I get you. This is exactly it. Like, again, for example, Emma's our sound tech, but then earlier when we're fiddling with the mic, I'm like, oh, I think maybe we should do it this way. And then when she takes the reins, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I just I just assume she knows better than me. So whatever my suggestion is, is not a good suggestion. <laughs> yeah, so but then we should not follow it. <laughs> with Hannah's suggestion, uh, we're not suggestion, but with mm-hmm. Hannah's being like, no, you shouldn't do that. I'm like, you're right. I shouldn't do that. <laughs> so then we're both feeling so, the same so way. We just get nowhere. We just, have, we just have bad audio in case you've been wondering. <laughs> it's because both of us assume the other knows what they're saying and because of that nothing changes oh and gosh. it doesn't get fixed <laughs> and i'm just the alien holding the whisk <laughs> <laughs> yes uh so i did read some articles on this book Ooh. that related to or and taoism yes so george represents balance which is what you've been saying this entire time um he's the yin and yang he's both he's completely neutral Mm -hmm. which also goes along with all the psychological tests that he's ever taken where he's come up neutral so he's obviously this very neutral character in this novel and haber is the disruption of that balance obviously I didn't read too much into it because I don't know anything about Taoism, yeah. but I thought that was on point and I loved how in the end that did tie back to the whole jellyfish metaphor at the beginning, drifting along with the flow of the sea. Yeah, Taoism is, is really about inaction. It's about just basically being in the world. And right. Um, unlike Haber, who's trying to change the world, mm-hmm. Ursula K. Le Guin is a big fan of Eastern philosophy. And okay. I feel like this book was a very effective philosophical treatise for her beliefs. Yeah, I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. Does anyone have any final thoughts? Hannah, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess final thoughts. It isn't my favorite go-to writing style of big descriptions and long paragraphs and flowery I don't, I don't know that that's, <laughs> let's take it back a few steps. It's not my favorite writing style, but I do think the story itself was an interesting story that ended in a satisfying way. Christina? I really love this novel and I'm really curious as to how this relates to her other novels because I would like to read more. Mm-hmm. So and I'm also really curious as to if this holds up, like, is this still your favorite novel after rereading it? Uh, yes. I mean, I mean, part of that, I'm gonna, like, insult myself here. Just, I'm not a big reader. <laughs> so, out of all the novels I've ever read, it is by far my favorite. But maybe it's just because I haven't read a better one yet. Right. So, I love this book. 
as I said at the beginning, it was very personal for me. And, you know, I, I am George and I love George and George helped me love myself just a little bit more. I love that. (laughs) I owe this book a lot, but okay. That's, that's enough discussing. Let's, (laughs) (laughs) all right. Before we close out this episode. I hope we all have some book recommendations, because I would love to know what is like this book. What else can I read that is just like this? (laughs) Hannah, do you want to go first? I I have a recommendation. I don't think it is a book that you would ever read because (laughs) romance features in it heavily. Uh, So there's a book series by uh, Maggie Steve Otter called The Raven Cycle. It's four books. And this is a very loose connection and i don't want to say too much because i don't want to give anything away for the series but dreams do feature heavily in the series not necessarily in the first book but definitely throughout the series so if you want another this one is more of a supernatural take on things not so much a science fiction take Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you do want something that still has that dream element as a big portion of the book then go to the raven cycle series I guess you don't have to say series if it's already a cycle. (laughs) (laughs) Go to the Raven cycle. Uh, And I would suggest you check that out. All right. All right. Christina, any recommendations? So this book reminded me like crazily of Brave New World, which might be Mm. obvious to say. I don't know. Because there's like, you know, the government is giving everyone these prescriptions and it's this dystopian uh, world but there's even a line in one of the chapters oh, yeah i remember that where they say brave new world yeah, they say it that, she that, says that, it they say it straight six. out <laughs> chapter six but that was in the old world now not in the brave new one and i was yeah, like i noticed that this is a nod to huxley obviously brave new world was written in 1932 so like about 40 years before lathe of heaven um mm-hmm. That was my favorite book in high school, and so it definitely harkened back to that novel specifically for me. All right. So I've got a long list of (laughs) not recommendations. (laughs) All right. So I've got some bad news about Ursula. Oh, no. I Okay. So I've only ever read The Left Hand of Darkness is the only other Ursula K. Le Guin book I've read. And it is not like this book at all. Okay. Is that the one uh, where he, it's like a guy goes to this world that's like all women? No, he goes to a world where everybody's androgynous. There is no gender. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Mixing up with Herland a little bit. All right. So so Ursula K. Le Guin said that this book was basically her attempt, not really attempt, but sort of an homage to Philip K. Dick. So... I'm not sure this book is really like her other books, but I still, I want to read everything she's written still. I think I tried doing that right after I'd read this book and I started with Left Hand of Darkness because it's her most famous book and it is not this book at all. So I was a little turned off by that, but I think, you know, I think 2020 is going to be the year of Le Guin for me. I'm going to get back into it. So maybe in the future I will actually have Le Guin recommendations. Right. But for now, I don't. Um, so this book, unfortunately, did not win the Hugo Award for Best Novel in the Crazy. year of 1971. Robbed. I, I agree. Instead, it was To Your Scattered Bodies Go by Philip Jose Farmer, which I also read because I was like, well, apparently this book is better than my favorite book, so let's go. It was okay. (laughs) I like Um, the title. Yeah, it's a great title. It's a very... It's also short. It's a very imaginative and original plot. But it's the first book in a series, and I did not feel the desire to read the rest of the series after finishing it. So there's that. And then I... Oh, our mother read this book. Oh, yes. And and I asked her if she had any recommendations, and she said, maybe The Chronicles of Amber by Roger Zelazny, 
but she she was like, eh, that's very it's like Hannah's suggestion. It's it's loosely mm-hmm. sort of right. vaguely related. And then and then I just wrote just watch Star Trek. <laughs> cause cause Star Trek is is nice science fiction. I wrote if you want to see a bleak but accurate portrayal of the current world, you should watch the Deep Space Nine episode Past Tense, part one and two. It's not about environmental problems, but it's very just like, oh no, they got this too right. Oh. I love those episodes, so watch them. Nice. That's what that's my recommendation. Nice. Alright, so we have to talk about what we are reading next time. Oh, Next time, Hannah's Uh, favorite book. We will be reading one of my favorite books. We will be reading Catch Twenty Two, and we will be discussing that. So get ready for some World War Two action, indeed, and dialogue. And dialogue. There's no shortage of it. Long paragraphs, (laughs) but there are. There's lots of short, quick dialogue. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Hannah, and thanks for joining in our discussion, and until next time, don't forget to treat yourself.